0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us for the NABIP Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NABIP's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your healthcare happy hour. On September 1st, 2023, The National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals welcomed a new Chief Executive Officer in Jessica Brooks-Woods. Prior to NABIP, she most recently served as President and CEO of the Pittsburgh Business Group on Health. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, I am joined by Jessica Brooks-Woods herself to discuss what led her to NABIP, what her goals are for the association, and anything else you might have questions about. So welcome to your first Healthcare Happy Hour podcast, Jessica. How are you Thank feeling this you. week?
1: I'm feeling great. I I feel honored to be on this Happy Hour podcast. I've heard so much about it and, you know, only v, VIPs apparently make it. So <laughs> thanks for including me. I feel so absolutely energized and more and more connected with each passing week. As you know, it's been about 45 days or so since I've been here and uh, really looking forward to What we're going to do collectively.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure our members are as well. So, before we get into what happened before NAPIP and your resume or your plans for NAPIP in the future, I'd love for listeners to get to know the story of Jessica Brooks Woods a little better. So, would you mind starting by providing some fun background info for the membership?
1: Sure. I am from the Mon Valley. Region of Western Pennsylvania, more specifically, a place called Clareton. And it's about, I would say, 30, 35 minutes outside of the city of Pittsburgh. I did spend several years living in Pittsburgh before moving to Georgia, just north of Atlanta. My husband, a true city Pittsburgher, likes to joke that he met a valley girl. And I came from a place full of horses and pigs and farms to this And this city boy met this valley girl. We joke about that all the time. Both of my parents are actually from Clareton. They both grew up there. That's where they met. And I come from a pretty large family. I'm one of nine kids, although I grew up with five of my siblings due to our age differences. I have siblings that are 20 plus years older than me. Oh, wow. So that places me um, with the cluster that I grew up with right in the middle. So I say, and I warn people all the time, I definitely have middle child tendencies, <laughs> and um, it may come through in my leadership. <laughs> and I, I mentioned my husband. We have four beautiful children, and we also have a blended family. So I have bonus children as well. On the generational chart, I'm depending on which one you look at, I'm an, a zenial origin wire. So for the longest I've been in the Gen Y category, and then they kind of made this little cluster close to Gen Xers and called us uh, Xennials. So I'm a a Xennial origin wire, depending on what you're looking at. And I'm a Capricorn for those who are interested in astrological signs. I'm a Nittany Lion, went to Penn State undergrad and Carnegie Mellon postgraduate. And as far as hobbies, I'm recently taken a liking to pickleball. I haven't nice. played much in the past year due to the move and career transition, but I actually really like it. It's it's super fun. I grew up playing badminton with my family. Not tennis. A lot of people play tennis who play pickleball, but it's it reminds me of that. It feels like home when I play. So hopefully I'll get to get into it a little
0: bit a bit more. I've heard that pickleball is really picking up steam in DC, actually. I've seen that in the local news. So
1: all right. It's a good we time might have here. to get out there, Dan. <laughs>
0: As I mentioned during the introduction, you most recently served as president and CEO of the Pittsburgh Business Group on Health, or PBGH. So would you mind delving into that experience? I'm wondering what your goals were with PBGH and then what you were able to achieve while you were in that position.
1: Sure, absolutely. Leading the Pittsburgh Business Group on Health was an amazing journey. I feel blessed and honored that I had that opportunity. My primary goal was to amplify the employer's voice in the healthcare dialogue and ensuring their unique needs and challenges were front and center and that they actually took a collective approach and leveraged their power in a way that transformed the way that healthcare was provided through their organizations to their employees and families that they covered ultimately the community that we all lived in and and served in and worked in. So we put in a huge emphasis on transparency, cost effectiveness, and elevating the quality of healthcare delivery and and equity within the community. A lot of that aligns with NABIP. And I know we'll talk a lot more about that, but my heart to healthcare really became solidified. and, And my role at PBGH showed me that it was bigger than a, a role or a job. It was a part of my purpose and why I'm here on earth. And that's what I realized through my, my leadership there. I grew up as a leader there. I I came from Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield at the time in HR and touched you know healthcare in a, in a very different way, being in human resources within a health insurance company. And this opportunity gave me the chance to actually work with the customers of that entity, and and really see how those customers worked really hard to ensure that people were taken care of. And the why became very clear to me as to to what needed to happen, why it was so critical, and all the lives that were touched. I'm incredibly proud of the partnerships we forged and the transformative programs we implemented there. I, I believe we had a tangible impact on healthcare accessibility and delivery in Pittsburgh. And influenced markets nationwide through our relationships with the National Alliance of Healthcare Coalitions, of which I've served on the board for many years with, uh, and many other entities that really saw that what it looked like when you actually activated a, a purchaser membership base. And some of my most proud moments include from the very beginning, we had a very tumultuous marketplace. For the first time, healthcare access was being Threatened, so to speak, where our largest healthcare provider and our largest insurance carrier were at odds and and were at the point of not having a contract moving forward and access in that market was definitely a major concern for employers and it was important for us to step up and take a position and oftentimes in associations or coalitions you think your position has to be aligned with one entity or another. Mm -hmm. And my perspective was, no, we have a position as purchasers. We have a position as those who are actually directly providing access to care, insurance access to millions of people. And so we have to have a standard and principles that guides our decisions, our advocacy efforts, our decisions around how we contract and who we contract with. For the first time, I believe we decided we weren't Switzerland. And Mm -hmm. that, that really matters because that has led and has guided the direction moving forward on how we looked and leveraged quality data to determine what networks, optimal networks should look like in a marketplace such as that. And how do you begin to take your conversations directly with an insurance carrier and uh, begin to build relationships directly with hospital systems and look at how they're delivering care and what their value systems are and how do we measure whether or not that's acceptable to us. And we've begun that work during my, my tenure leading that organization. I also learned that there's the power of collective action. And when you do have that, it's completely unmatched. Like you, it's a you become a real force to be reckoned with especially when employers leverage their influence and understand their tolerance levels and decide to actively drive change. And uh, ultimately, it was an era of great learning for me, great collaboration. It's shaped my approach to leadership and advocacy that I hope you all get to benefit from in a significant way.
0: Wow, absolutely. Obviously, that passion of yours and also all of this experience I can see how that would lead you to NABIP, but I am curious because you could have taken that passion and experience quite a few places. So what is it um, that gravitated you towards NABIP specifically?
1: NABIP, or it was formerly NAHU, as you all know, we have a bit of a history, albeit indirectly. I was introduced to the organization about a decade ago while at the Pittsburgh Vince Group One Health. My husband, who's also in the industry, was on the board of the Workplace Benefits Association during the Walt Bogerski time and era, for those listeners who would know what that was. And I attended the conferences, the Employee Benefits News Conferences and the Workplace Benefits Conferences, partly to be a fly on the wall, because those who attend those conferences, many of them are members today, served my members they're the ones that employers relied upon to move things forward or looked for direction on, or even in some ways posed as gatekeepers to some of the things that we as coalition leaders were trying to achieve. And I wanted to understand what that world looked like. I also wanted to understand how advisors were equipping themselves to better serve members like mine. So that curiosity led me to enroll in a, a NEHU course. And actually, David Smith taught the course, and that was about, I want to say, seven or eight years ago. And then NABIP's reputation as a thought leader and influencer within the industry and its connections within the healthcare ecosystem truly stood out to me, so much so that I actually invited Janet to speak at my symposium in Pittsburgh in 2021. And she graciously accepted. I have a picture (laughs) to prove it because we I, we wanted to hear from this part of the industry we wanted to understand what was before us from a legislative perspective of course but also from a trending perspective what were those advisors who were ultimately advising uh, my members looking to face in the future and 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 so the reputation made that makes it very attractive of course however I was presented this role from actually a member within NABIP who, through my husband, said, I think your wife would be fantastic for this role. And that's how I became aware of it, being even open.
0: So as you mentioned earlier, you've been CEO for about 45 days now. So what are your first impressions so far?
1: My first impressions, that is a great question. I would say the dedication and passion of both the staff and our members have are really impressive. There's a unanimous commitment to the success of NABIP and the well-being of our members that I believe is probably a benchmark in the association world of, of any organization that has a collective of members. It, I I think we're worth benchmarking by the way, Dan. Because the the passion is very clear from the board members that I first were introduced to and in the interview process. There's clearly a strong foundation here to the team members, which the majority of the leadership have been here multiple decades. So you can't question our commitment. And I see immense potential for growth, impact, and exploring new avenues at the same time. Mm -hmm. So a strong foundation, however, lots of opportunity. I think on the other side of it, I've also noticed that we tend to focus intensely on our current membership which can is important, but it doesn't necessarily speak to growth. And it also, because we have such long tenure, which is fantastic and lots of information and wisdom to share and legacy that has been built here, it can lead to a certain extent to be insular. And we look a lot within. And this could give us blind spots, particularly regarding the future of healthcare and our role in shaping it large employers are trailblazing at a pace that, and from my previous world, that often outstrips the consultants in some ways that they once relied heavily upon to to begin to kind of ignite innovation and thought leadership. Now we have large employers in a lot of markets leading that. And, And with that, there's this rising movement to cut out the middleman. And while we may agree in certain contexts, we need to ensure we aren't inadvertently excluding ourselves in that category. We don't just want to be a necessary part of the equation. Like this is the way we've always done it. We've always leveraged a broker or a consultant, go through my broker. We, we want to be seen as essential, that you can't even imagine a world in healthcare, in the American healthcare system, where we are not in existence and we are not significantly influential. And that you begin to see us as leading the industry, not just uh, insurance professionals, but the entire ecosystem of healthcare, that we're driving that. And to achieve that, we must forge direct, intimate connections with the lives we touch like we've never done before. And those are the things that really make me excited. I don't see some of those challenges as deflating at all. In fact, it, it gives me a, a level of momentum because the opportunity is so great, in my opinion. And so I'm really, really, really excited about what we're going to be able to do. And with the passion that we have with our members, with our team, paired with all of our strengths and the foundation that we have, along with the challenges that we, we face external to the organization, I don't think there will be any question about whether or not we'll be essential for many, many more decades to come.
0: Absolutely. I think those are excellent points, and I'm getting excited just listening to you talk about it. So outside of those areas, looking ahead, are there any other goals you have for the association that you're excited to share?
1: Sure, of course. And again, you'll continue to hear my theme of us transitioning from an era of, of relevance to an era of being essential. That's how the membership and external marketplace should expect NABIP to be moving within moving forward. And it should be obvious as we continue to make headway on a lot of the things that we are, are working on over the next several months and even years. Of course, for any organization, an association growth and relevance comes with financial stability. That's crucial. We need to attract new members and voices to the organization. We need to also maintain and retain the members that we have at the table. There's way too much knowledge to not ensure that we have an ability to transfer to the next generation of professionals moving forward in the industry and who we hope to attract to the industry. So I'm really looking forward to what we'll be able to to do to grow and to maintain a level of relevance along the way. And financial stability and growth and membership. I think innovative programs and new strategic partnerships will play a big part in that. And I think, you know, even thinking outside of what we've traditionally done from a programmatic perspective and developing new innovative ways that we engage with the states and the local chapters across the country will definitely, definitely create a level of energy and momentum that will result in growth. Along those same lines, workforce development is very important to me. I, I want us to be able to shape the future workforce of this industry, identifying and, and nurturing the core competencies required in the future. And I think we need to look at what the workforce looks like today and what to anticipate us needing moving forward and it through our professional development playing a big role in equipping and training and developing the next generation of professionals in our industry. And I'm I'm really energized around what we can do with a, a very intentional workforce development strategy. I've heard great things that our chapters are doing in different markets already in partnerships with the Department of Insurance and looking at apprenticeship programs. I think looking at uh, the population and the future workforce from a different lens of lived experience is going to be critical. A lot of women, for example, left the workforce during the last few years during the pandemic for a variety of different reasons. I believe our industry lends itself to be attractive to people who have left on um, their roles for whatever reason. This is an industry that you can be on track with because you may know someone in it. You may go to college for risk management or for business but you can also be someone who had a very eclectic background, but you know people and you're you're passionate about people and you have a level of tenacity about you because you definitely have to have thick skin and resilience in this industry. And I I just think us being creative around what that future workforce is can be very fascinating. Um, Healthcare delivery, I think is important. We have to get beyond the financing side of things. I, I, I want us to focus on enhancing the quality and value of healthcare delivery and defining what that looks like and and coming up with great models. What's to your question earlier about what attracted me to NABIP is in the employer space, although employers cover about 180 million lives, it's still about half of the lives to be covered in the country. We have the individual marketplace. We have the federal exchange, of course, state exchanges. We have... CMS, Medicare, Medicaid, our members touch all of that. It's not just one segment of the consumer of healthcare in this industry. That is a very unique opportunity. And I think we there's a lot more we can do with, with that ability to look across the segmented healthcare system and look at at people in a very intentional way and what works for Americans. Uh, and I think we're uniquely positioned, and I, I like to lead and and really build around that. The we have a foundation. For those of you who do not know, we have a foundation. I want our foundation not to even be a question of whether or not we have a foundation or not. I I think it, it's 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 essential for us to be a fo- have a foundation of significance with tangible impact uh, in communities that we serve all across the country across our about 200 chapters we have across the country and every state that we cover. We aim to build a solid foundation that enables us to make a a significant impact, I think, in cancer care and social determinants of health and and potential significant topics that may be plaguing our healthcare system, like the maternal mortality crisis that we have today and other things. I'm really looking forward to really building on that. In digital transformation, the the team, as you know, as we've engaged a a consultant to help us even become more technically capable. And so we'll begin to embrace digital transformation internally, but ultimately that will transform into how we engage with members and other stakeholders externally as well. So those are a few things. Of course, our regulatory and policy work is, is strong every time we survey our members. Recently had a survey, it became clear that this is a, an area of significance to our membership, that they value it, and that they're seeing change happen as a result of NABIP having a voice in government relations. I want us to be even more impactful and display in how we communicate the tangible impact of the work that your team and 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 John and and everyone in the government relations side of our, our business is doing. So really looking forward to to the activity around shaping policies and regulations moving
0: forward. So before we conclude today, what is one fun fact about you that folks may not know?
1: Well, I'm not sure if you would consider this fun, but this has been a multi-year project I have been working on for over two years, highly collaborative with many experts in a variety of fields in healthcare and benefits across the country, just recently launched the book Race Forward. It's a health equity guide for employers, although any stakeholder in healthcare can benefit from reading it. Health equity has become a very big passion for me. In fact, it, I didn't choose it, it, it's chosen me. And uh, the book is literally a tool that you can reference. And I believe. It's going to impact a lot, of lot of lives through the work of employers in the healthcare industry. So Race Forward, the Health Equity Guide for Employers, definitely grab a copy if you can through the Race and Health Foundation, and I appreciate you asking me about it.
0: It is now time for the Native Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. This week, I'd like to toast to you, Jessica. I speak on behalf of NABIP staff, the Board of Trustees, our dedicated healthcare happy hour listeners, and the entire membership. When I say that we are absolutely thrilled to have you leading NABIP, can't wait to see what the future has in store.
1: Thank you, Dan. I feel so honored. Honestly, I feel completely welcomed, and I'll I'll accept that toast. And with that, I'd love to toast our members, many of whom I've had that chance to speak with or meet, but many I haven't yet. So, cheers to you all. Thank you. Cheers.
0: Thank you for joining us for NABIP's Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Benefits and Insurance Professionals. For more information on NABIP's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NABIP.org.